Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. I was to him I give, ever to him I plead. much in this chapter it's just such a great chapter it's the probably the greatest chapter in the, all the books of the bible i would say romans chapter 8 and today we're going to get to verse 18 i know we spent the last few weeks talking about how our adoption and suffering and those things are talked are, are taught we need to talk about because they're important but remember the whole theme of the whole book is really the righteousness that comes from God through faith. That's chapter one. Paul wants us to know that nobody's going to be saved unless we trust Jesus Christ, right? Christ is the only way. We're not getting there any other way. So he spends three chapters telling us that there's none righteous, the heathen out in the jungle, the moral man, the religious man. None of us are righteous, not on our own. But and then he goes to chapter four and begins to tell us how David was saved and Abraham was saved in chapter five about how great our salvation is and we can't lose it and that what Adam lost God gave us so much better through Jesus Christ and he tells us in chapter six to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God that we need to live out begin to live out what God's put in us. And in chapter 7, Paul tells us, well, we can't do it. He says, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do those who shall deliver me from this body of death. And then he starts this great chapter, chapter 8, that tells us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he begins to tell us how to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we can't do it on our own just as we can't be saved on our own. We cannot live the Christian life on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us. We want to do what Paul says in Philippians to work out what God has put in us. Let's start in verse 18. I just want to read a few verses. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected in hope, but because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is not seen that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So really in this section, the first part begins to talk about the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And then he talks about three groanings. He's going to talk about the creation groans. We groan. And then after this section, he's going to talk about the groanings of the Holy Spirit which is confusing to some people. But remember Paul's talked about in this previous section, we kind of said, well, Paul, why did you bring up suffering? And he said, we believe that Paul brought it up because we realize that that all of us are going to suffer, right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. And for those who know Christ, that uh, we need to realize that life is not going to be easy but it is going to be worth it all when we see Jesus, as the old song says. It's going to be worth it all. And remember what Paul said, that the sufferings of this world is what he's going to say here, are not, compared, not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So in this section he says that the present sufferings don't even compare And the whole creation eagerly waits for the revealing and the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we also wait with perseverance. So really this is in one sense the conclusion of the preceding paragraph in which believers are assured assured of their being heirs of Christ's coming glory. How's that? Because he says if we suffer with him, then we know that we're his children, right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer. He said over in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that this suffering is temporary and light compared to, to what eternity is going to be like. Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this world are, are they're a light and momentary affliction. Paul, who was the greatest sufferer who ever lived and the greatest Christian who ever lived, he, he, if he said that the sufferings of this world were light and momentary, then who are we to say that they're not, right? I know we go through a lot in this world, but I tell you, I think Paul, when you read 2 Corinthians 11, you can say that he went through way more than any of us, I think. And so he says here, for I consider, and that word consider is the word really that means to add it up. Think about it. It was a counting term that we must look at the fact, and Paul uses this term over and over again in all of his books, that we need to consider, we need to account, and we look at this compared to what else is ahead of us. In other words, this is a carefully researched conclusion. We must live in the light of the spiritual truths we understand. And then he says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. So we know, like I said, we know about the sufferings. 
based on what Paul went through, what we go through all the time. And he says of this present time. And he's talking about the time that we live, right? I mean, what does the book of Revelation say? He says that one day that God's going to wipe away all our tears. There's going to be no more sickness, no more weeping, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, right? And that's the thing we have to look forward to as we've talked about in the past. We know when we get sick, a lot of times what kind of gets us through is the hope that, okay, well, I'm going to get better, right? We say, well, I'm going to get better, and then sometimes we go, well, maybe I'm not going to get any better. Regardless, we, uh, there's always that hope, and we know that uh, even if we don't get better, if we pass out of this world, it is going to be better on the other side, right? As, as if we're Christians. Uh, believers kind of live in the tension of the already and the not now, the kingdom of God. In other words, we're in the kingdom of God and we get a little taste of the kingdom while we're here on earth and because we are his believers and we are his children, but we don't get the full benefit until we get to heaven, right? That's where people get so confused with the Old Testament. If people would just read the Old Testament in light of the new and the new in light of the old, they would see that the Bible nowhere teaches that we get it all now. That we don't, that we get everything here. But, but what it does say is in the Old Testament, remember always the physical is always a picture of the spiritual in the New Testament. That when he says that he gave Abraham and all them plenty of money and riches and land and all those things, in the New Testament, what does he say? He says that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? We have the spiritual blessings. Not that we don't get some of the other good things too, but God didn't promise us, as the old song says, a rose garden. He didn't promise us that uh, we'd be healthy, wealthy, and uh, all these other things. But he did promise that we would suffer and we would be overcomers and that one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be worth it all is what he's saying here. We're kind of right now, we're in the kingdom, but we're not getting the full benefits because we talked about the last time. When we get to heaven, it all belongs to us just as it belongs to God, right? And then he says, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I was thinking about that song we sang, I think we sang it last week or sang it somewhere in one of the sister livings, I believe, that it says, oh, that will be glory just to look on his face and that will be glory for me, right? But the other part of the glory is, you know, we're going to be like him because we'll see him and we'll be like him, right? That's the great thing about it. But think about this. That he, he's talking about the glory that's going to be revealed in us. But, you know, what is God's glory? God's glory is really the outward manifestation of his inner attributes. In other words, when Jesus Christ came to earth, what did we see? We saw his glory, right? Said that Jesus explained who God was. It says, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. So every time Jesus did something, he healed somebody. Every time he lived out God's truth, every time he did anything, he was showing us God's glory, right? Because Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And because he is God in human flesh, everything he did 
was his glory. It means brightness, splendor, beauty. Uh, really, the core meaning of it means weight heavy. It meant to be heavy, to be valuable like gold. And so we see that, that Jesus Christ is worthy. Let's try to remember what the old term was. Basically, it means that we see his glory. And remember the Old Testament? It was used of the Lord, and we talked about his Shekinah glory, that they saw his, his uh, shining at night. And during the daytime, it was a, it was a fire and but a cloud of light at night. We are created for his glory, and everything we do is supposed to be for his glory, right? Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and do what? Glorify our Father who's in heaven. So our life is to glorify him. And so now we kind of get to the part here where we begin to talk about the creation. He says, for the earnest expectation, verse 19 of the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So the earnest expectation. So what this is, is it's a picture of really the, the creation is eagerly waiting for the redemption of the and the revealing of the sons of God. That's us if we know Jesus Christ, right? And he's the creation is waiting and and what it's doing is he's kind of personifying the creation as a person that's kind of standing up with the neck stretched out, the hands stretched out, and everything like, hurry up, I can't wait. You know, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> and we think about the creation and and remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and it was so beautiful and we can't even imagine what it was like then. But when we go to the places, I love the mountains and I know Miss Betty loves the mountains and she says, go to my mountains, you know, because that's where she used to live. And, but when we go to these beautiful places, anywhere we go and we see God's glory, every time we see these things, what does Romans 1.18 say that we see the glory of God, we see his invisible attributes. They're clearly displayed by the creation that we see. And if we could imagine that this creation is so beautiful to us now, but can you imagine what it was like before Adam and Eve fell in the garden? Because it says during that period of time, what happened? It says that, that God not only cursed Adam and Eve and the serpent, but he did what? He cursed the ground and the creation too. It says the creation eagerly waits for the new age. In verse 23, the believers eagerly wait for new bodies. In verse 25, believers eagerly wait for this hope of the new age when all these things are going to be changed. Paul, like I said, is the one who suffers so much. And he said that this glory is not even worthy to be mentioned. In effect, what Paul said is suffering is a drop, but glory is an ocean. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we always talk about that, that, that about eternity is going to be like what? Like one man said, it's like a little bird. Let's say you had a little bird and he flew however many thousands of miles. I told somebody it was 90,000 miles to the moon and they told me I was wrong, but whatever that distance is, let's say the moon is 90,000 miles away. And you get a little old bird here, 
you know, they maybe fly 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, and they fly 90,000 miles and they go to the moon and they take a grain of sand off the earth and then they fly back and they take up a grain of sand and they fly back. By the time they've emptied all the, all the grains of sand off of the earth, then guess what? Eternity has just begun. That's a long time, right? That was one of the examples people tried to say, well, you know, how long would it take? Ground is cursed and all of these things are cursed, but the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Like I said, so in a sense, the creation one day is going to be so beautiful. And that revealing of the sons of God means to pull back the curtain. It's the same word we get for the revelation, the revealing, the apocalypse. And like I said, we are the children of God. We're the sons of God. Let's look at verse 20 here. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the next thing he says is the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. So what does he mean here that the creation was subjected to futility? In other words, what is he saying here? He's saying that that the creation is useless for what God originally intended it for because now it has been cursed. It is useless for what he originally intended it for. And just like we, in a sense, are all, without Christ, we are useless for what he intended us for, right? But the moment we trust Christ, now we're useful to him, but the creation is not useful for what he originally created for. That word futility means emptiness, vanity, uh, just pure uselessness. But he says it was subjected to uselessness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, God subjected the creation and he did this to us because one day there's the hope of Jesus Christ coming and, and the people that trust him and the people who believe in him, the people that go to heaven one day, what's he going to do? He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, right? Because he's going to burn up the old one. And I was listening to John MacArthur the other night, and he says, I'm not worried about an atomic explosion. He says, I believe that God somehow, some way, is probably going to create an atomic explosion. And everything's going to burn up, but it's not going to be because somebody shot an atom bomb. That's not how God says the world ends. He says that it's going to end through fire and he's going to do it, right? But then after he burns it up, what's he going to do? He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth because the former things were passed away in a new heaven. And so it's all going to be new. He did it in hope because not only the, we going to be delivered, but the creation itself will be delivered, verse 21. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Just as we have been freed from the penalty of sin, guess what's going to happen? The creation is going to be freed from that penalty of sin too that we brought on it. 
and all the decay and all the things that happen now and we look at all of that we think about that that the whole creation is groaning and we know that it groans and labors with birth pains until now I don't know about any birth pains but y'all ladies most I think all of y'all mostly know about birth pains the birth pains are what the the pain before the good event happens right and and that's really what he's kind of saying here and uh, he uses that remember Jesus used that several times he talks about that in Matthew 24 about you know the, the things that happened before the end of the time that, that the whole creation he talks about that there's a groaning and these are just the birth pains before God changes everything and he comes back and redeems everything and redeems his people and think about this, that every time we get these earthquakes and every time we get these, any kind of broken dams and all the excess rain we've had lately and the real cold and the, all the personal tragedies that we have, all the different things that happen here, that guess what? Those are the groanings. Those are the birth pains. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Talked about the earthquakes and the famines and all these things. And when he talks about creation, he's not talking about us here at this particular point, but just think he's talking about the trees and the rocks and all these things that God created, the mountains and the waters and the lakes and all of these things. He's not talking about angels or demons because angels and demons aren't going to be redeemed. They're not going to get set free. The angels and demons can never trust Jesus Christ. They were never set up to be redeemed. But those that didn't fall it when they Satan fell, they're gonna be with God forever, right? But the ones that fell, but he's not talking about that creation. He's just talking about all the inanimate objects, is what he's saying there. That anything, trees and wood and all that, all those things are gonna be redeemed one day. And they're gonna be turned into the new creation. And so the whole creation groans and travails. Like I said, for the Jews in their literature, the days of the Messiah are spoken of as the days of the birth pain of the Messiah. In Jewish thought, the Messiah was going to come and he would establish his kingdom upon the earth and the birth pain of the Messiah was in the time of the tribulation preceding the kingdom of God upon the earth. And so maybe that's what he's talking about here. The time when Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's going to come back. That's, and there's going to be this tribulation. He's going to get his people. And then there's going to be this extreme tribulation. And we know that the moon and all those things kind of turn to blood and all kinds of things. The stars fall out of heaven and the skies rolled up like a scroll. All of those things happen, and it's going to be a, a time that, that we don't want to be there. And if you don't know Christ, you need to trust him because, hey, that's not going to be a good time to be here. And if you've never trusted Christ and you've heard the truth and you get to that tribulation time, which there's nothing left for him to come and get his people. There's the only thing that could happen is he could come and then, Next thing you know, the world could start beginning to go crazy. We need to realize 
there's nothing left to happen except for Jesus to get his people and uh, rapture and then next thing you know is all hell is going to break loose during the tribulation and that could happen at any time the whole creation groans and labors until now and he says not only that but we who also have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan here's the second groaning we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting the adoption the redemption of our body for we were saved in his hope but hope that is not seen that is seen is not hope why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for we, what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance so what does he say here not only that but we who also had the first fruits of the spirit in other words he's given us the holy spirit what does it say in ephesians 1 13 it talks about the fact that that moment we believe we heard the gospel of our truth he says the gospel of your salvation in whom having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, I don't know if y'all know what the first fruits are, but first fruits are really, I don't know if you've ever noticed or done any garden or maybe been in a vineyard or somewhere. And what happens is at the very beginning, there's a little bit of grapes, a little bit of tomatoes, a little bit of something. And they ripen before everything else does. And those are what we call the first fruits. And what they are is they're kind of an earnest uh, sample and a, and a guarantee that, that those have come. Now guess what? There's a lot more to come. And that's kind of what he's saying here is that Jesus Christ, because he died and he was the first fruits of those who rise from the grave, and we or the first fruits, we have the Holy Spirit, that there's going to be a lot more. And then when we get to heaven and we see the, the, the fullness of the Spirit and the living for Jesus Christ and living for Him in the future, we've already talked about that in verse 11. He said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, we have the Spirit if we're believers. Because what he's saying in verse 9, if you don't have the Spirit, what? You don't belong to Him, right? And so he goes on to say that. And then, uh, he's, he's going to talk about that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9. It says, The wolf shall, lie, shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the copra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what is he saying there? There's going to come a time we don't have to worry. It's going to be back like it was in the beginning, right? The lion and the lamb will lay down together. And this is a glorious problem, I mean, glorious promise that we know that if we have the first fruits of the Spirit, He is the first fruits of those who are raised from the grave. But guess what? One day, because He is raised from the grave, we're going to be raised. And we're going to get the fullness of everything that He has for us. And that's going to be a 
great and wonderful time. Like I said, right now we live in the, the now and the not yet because we get a little taste of the Spirit. We get a little taste of the goodness of God, but we've not even begun to get the fullness of who He really is and what He's done. There's a place, I think, in the Bible where it says He's only used His little finger or something. That's kind of what it is. We've gotten about His little finger maybe, if that much. But one day when we get to heaven, we're going to get the whole deal, right? And it's all going to be ours. If we're truly Christians and we're reading the Word of God and we realize how great heaven is going to be, we can never be satisfied with earth if we're truly a Christian, if we're reading the Word of God. As we look at this section, our groanings intensify our hope and they enable us to wait patiently. So one day we're going to be there, he says. We eagerly wait for the adoption. That's why I was talking about we've been adopted. But we don't get the fullness of the adoption until we get to heaven, right? We don't get the fullness of the inheritance and all of those things. And then he says, for we were saved in this hope. Hope that what? One day we're going to get it all when we see Jesus. And he says, for hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? In other words... We don't see it yet, but one day we're going to get it. Remember Abraham and all those people in Hebrews 11? They said they they died not having seen the promises, right? Not having received the promises. And that's the way it's going to be. We get a little taste, but one day we're going to get it all. That's the great thing, that believers in Jesus Christ and not all people have the fruits of the Spirit and the groaning of Christians is... Not merely grief over things, but it's expected grief. It's grief that looks forward to the time that's coming. He brings in this hope because as we look at the physical suffering we go through and all of the things that happen to us on a daily basis, that not only do we see that we're going to be redeemed spiritually, but these bodies are going to be redeemed. Remember, he says one day the dead in Christ shall rise. And he's talking about that the bodies are going to come up out of the grave and and we're going to get a new body. That's going to be the great thing. I don't know how we're going to be or anything like that. Somebody suggested 33 years old, the same age Jesus was when he died. We don't know, but we're going to get a new body. And as one man said, if somebody asked you, are you saved, you could answer and three different ways you could say yes i have been saved then you could say because you've trusted in christ's death burial and resurrection right you could say i am being saved which speaks of our sanctification being made more and more like jesus christ and you could also say i'm going to be saved because ultimately he's going to save our body and going to redeem our body and change us right he says we wait for this redemption of our body And I don't know if you've ever looked in the Old Testament and seen how many times in the Old Testament when the people were being pulled out of Egypt and all that, it talked about redemption. They were redeemed. They were redeemed about redeeming the lambs and redeeming this. And it it speaks of deliverance, that glorious joy and power that we're going to have. And it's going to speak of the infinite power of God that we're going to be redeemed ultimately and completely and be who we're supposed to be. Let's finish this up. As if we're Christians, there's a sure and certain hope. There's not wishful thinking. 
because he talks about that in verse 24, right? We were saved in this hope. You know, you talk to people sometimes, they say, well, I hope so. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure this is going to happen. But when the Bible speaks of the word hope, we talk about Jesus, that Jesus is our blessed hope, right? We know because he raised from the grave, he's living again, and he lives to make intercession for us, that guess what? One day we're going to be lived with him. We're going to be living with him and we're going to be like him. So let's talk about a couple of lessons here. There's a couple of things. If we're believers, we're not going to be surprised by the when things go wrong in this world because Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? We're not going to put our ultimate hope in improving this world's conditions. In other words, we're to be good stewards of what God's given us, right? But we're not to put all our hope in keeping this earth because the Bible says one day he's going to destroy it. He's going to burn it up. And we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, right? There's a reason the Old Testament states, as John even finished up 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, and he said, Jesus is coming. And he finally at the end said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Three lessons here. Paul says that nature and is not everything it was supposed to be that if nature is waiting and is waiting in hope to be redeemed we too should know that there's a glorious outcome that's certain and that's why christianity is worth it number two remember that this is just a drop eternity and living for christ is the ocean right and then lastly he says that there's an eternal weight of glory waiting and i'll try to do what pleases god and hang on in spite of anything knowing that there's an eternal weight of glory i will try to do what pleases god and hang on in spite of anything that's that perseverance right the bible says that those who know christ will persevere they will hang on and we know of people who've walked away from the Lord and quit living for the Lord. The Bible says that uh, those that went out from us went out because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have no doubt remained with us, but they went out that it might be made evident or manifest that they were never of us. So let's pray and let's close and we'll finish up. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done for us and the greatest thing that you ever did was sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son, your only unique one-of-a-kind son who was virgin born and, and was God in human flesh and died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day that we might have eternal life. Father, if there's even one here that doesn't know you today, I pray that your spirit would speak to them and uh, just convict them lord you said the spirit comes to convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness of sin because they've not believed on you of righteousness because you are righteous and we aren't and lord judgment because you've judged the ruler of this world and if you were able to judge satan you will definitely judge us if we do not trust you father for those of us who know jesus help us just to hang on to you no matter what, Lord, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, who was 
for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father forevermore. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.